Hello and welcome to the Feminist Law Podcast. I'm your co-host, Courtney Jones, a recent law graduate and incoming postgraduate student in law. And I'm your co-host, Clara Tokul, a recent law graduate and incoming trainee solicitor. We're both co-founders of the Feminist Law Project and passionate about the intersections of law and feminism. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Anik Masalo, Professor of Law at the University of Canterbury, New Zealand. Would you please introduce yourself? Um, hello, thank you for having me. So my name is Annick Masselot and I'm uh, originally French and I have moved to New Zealand about 17 years ago now and I'm also a New Zealander. Um, I uh, do research research on gender equality. I'm a lawyer, so I do um, anything that is law and relating to gender equality. My um, original uh, research is really focused on pregnancy, maternity, and an extension of that um, work-life reconciliation and then uh, care-related uh, issue. But I do all sorts of research on uh, gender and the law um, otherwise. Thank you for that introduction. It sounds like you do some really interesting research. Um, so before we begin to focus on the main topic of today's interview, I wanted to highlight that a lot of your research focuses on gender equality or more specifically inequalities in the law. So could you tell us what sparked your interest in this and how you came to be a researcher on law and gender inequality? So I think I became a feminist a really long time ago. I, But I didn't know. I did not know I was a feminist then. I was about seven or eight years old and I was um, standing at a cross at a corner uh, of a street with my mum and my grandmother. And a bus passed by and uh, the bus was driven by a woman. And my grandmother was insane about it. There were a woman driving a bus and she ranted about it. My mom said nothing. Um, and in my head, my little girl's head, I was just wondering, what, what is it that, why is it that women can't drive a bus? I just couldn't figure out what was the, what was the female thing? What was the woman thing that was not right about driving a bus. I just could not picture it. And then I suppose this is the kind of thing that gave me these lenses. Then I kind of like saw these things like time and time again, like where people made comments or, you know, like things that women weren't supposed to do, but there were no real reason for it. And it kind of gave me this, um, yeah, these lenses uh, that I, I, I've had um, in life. So anyway, so that's that's the really like early story. But um, how I became, how I really started to uh, work in the area of um, uh, gender equality, I, I did a master um, by research at the university, at University College Dublin. And um, I did that on uh, the health and safety um, for men and women working in hazardous workplace. And it was a comparative study between the US at the time and 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 um, Europe and the European, well, it wasn't the European Union at the time, but anyway. Um, and um, in the US, they in, in chemical plants, for example, they would require all women to undergo sterilization. Whereas in Europe, it was more seen from a perspective of um, of uh, health and safety and so they would require to have like safety gear for everyone um, and um, so that that really like gave me this idea that there were a lot of uh, issue around gender 
And after Dublin, I worked in Glasgow. And then after that, I got a job in the Netherlands. I became a, uh, the assistant uh, coordinator for the network of gender, or for the network of uh, legal experts on gender equality for the European Commission under the um, Sasha Prechal. She was at the time professor at the University of Tilburg. She, um, she uh, employed me as the assistant coordinator. And, um, and essentially, I, well, her and I, I mean, like the team, we wrote legislation uh, for uh, the European Commission, I mean, draft legislation, draft directives for the European um, Union and uh, for the European Commission. And so all those directives between 2000 and 2007, all those directives on gender equality, they started on my desk. And so this was really quite a a big launching uh, pad, if you want, uh, to work in the area of gender equality. It also gave me a lot of connection across Europe, and um, and to these days I still have uh, uh, all of those connections. And it's uh, it was rich um, intellectually and um, substantially, and from a personal point of view and a professional point of view. So yeah, so this is the way it started. Yeah, that's incredible. And I mean, getting to write legislation on gender equality for the European Union is European Union story is just something that not every most people never get to do that. And that's a that's really cool. I had no idea you'd done that. So congrats on having done that. That's incredible. It was it was pure luck. It was pure luck. It was, I mean, I realize now that I'm old and decrepit. I realize how at the time I was so young and I had this chance, these opportunities, and it was really quite uh, a fluke. And it's, uh, it was, um, yeah, it was amazing, I must say. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so today we're going to focus more on feminist responses to disasters. So could you maybe explain to our listeners what is meant by feminist disaster response and why it's an important concept? So there is a lot there to unpack. So first, it's um, the first question, what is it, you know, what is it meant by feminist disaster response? So I suppose there are three connections to make there, feminist, disaster, and response. So those three things, like how can they um, be put together? So I think I, I will start from the feminist perspective. So a feminist methodology would, um, you know, start by asking, the women's question. Um, so it would look at things from a women's perspective, women's experience, etc. Um, and so it like it would examine the rules and the practices or the issue, you know, whatever issue that um, looks neutral or objective and like and 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 put a, a um, an experience, a women's experience on it. So how do we connect feminist you know, um, uh, methodology with disasters. So if we consider, this is in the paper that I published, the, the, I considered earthquake in particular, but I mean, any so-called um, natural disaster, uh, well, almost any of them uh, would work. So if we look at this, uh, if we look at earthquake, for example, uh, we'd look at we'd look at it from uh, the women's uh, point of view. And so Cynthia Enlow tells us, you know, the first thing you need to do in any situation is look where are the women. So this is an essential starting point, something that we need to, to do. And, you know, just look where are the women. It's, it seems like a simple um, thing to do, but it's not always easy because there is not necessarily some data that can tell us where women are. So in terms of earthquake, for example, a lot of the time um, we have a record of the fatalities, but we don't have a gender desegregated data of the fatalities. So, for example, in 
Canterbury, in, in, well, where I live at, uh, in, in New Zealand, in Canterbury, we had an earthquake uh, over 10 years ago, where we had two earthquakes. And um, uh, people died, over 100 people died. Um, but they were, so we have the name of those people, but there is no record of whether they're women or whether they're men. So in order to uh, ascertain the uh, ratio of men to women who died. I had to like go back to look at their name, infer from their name whether they were women or men, and and you know and this is really you know it's very by you know like it's very men women. There is like not even like anything in between in that uh, in that sort of methodology. And then you know maybe look at their bio, maybe like find you know like sometimes some names are not um, straightforward. You know like female or male. Anyway, it's um so. If you have data, it's something. So this idea of looking where the women are is really about having some um, gender desegregated data. And this is lacking generally across um, disaster. But anyway, so in places where we've had disaster and particular, in particular earthquake, we see that women are more likely to die. They're more often die than men. And also they're more often um, injured. So they're, in, they're injured and killed in greater number compared to men. So this is the, this is the, we look where the women are and women are more often killed or injured than men uh, in, in, in earthquake. So, and if we drill down uh, on on the data, we we uh, we we saw that uh, we we see that um, it's not just women, but it's also particular women. So it will be women at the crossroad between you know vulnerabilities, women, um, disabled women, or disabled uh, or sorry, women from um, certain ethnic background. So this is like the second question: How we connect? feminist to disaster. And then once we um, we have this, uh, we have this connection, we see that there is a connection. The next thing is to consider what are the factors that contribute to the disproportionate impact of um, disaster on women? What are the reasons, in other words, that women are more often killed or injured in um, disaster? Um, and the answer is very simple because a lot of people, you know, when I say, well, women get more killed in earthquake, they just look at me with big eyes. Why is that? It's bizarre. Like earthquakes are not particularly, you know, um, mindful of women or men. So why is it that disaster, like earthquake, kill uh, women more often than men? It's very simple. The answer is that the more vulnerable a population is, the more likely they are to be killed or injured as a result of disaster. So um, men and women, for example, there is a gender pay gap. Uh, the fact that women uh, don't have the same resources means that they live in maybe poorer housing that are more likely to fall on their on their head. It's very it's a very simple answer. So there is a direct link between women as uh, gender inequality and raising vulnerability and disaster. So the more vulnerable women are more vulnerable than men. And so the 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 link to your last point about uh, response is what can we do about it? So that's the response. How can we address this issue? So through prevention, management, recovery. And I'm I'm a lawyer, so I'm I'm looking at you know what can we do in the law. So um, what can we do before and after a disaster? So we can design legal institution with which reflect equality um, before and after disaster. And that's what I'm looking at. So that's the response. So that's the sorry. This is a very long. Uh, story to say how we connect 
feminist disaster and response. And then your second part um, of your of your question is why why is this why is this important? So. From my point of view, it's important because, well, women are part of humanity. Um, if we think about numbers, they represent half the population. It's a question of human rights, social justice. Um, and so so just like from a from a general point of view, I think, well, it's important because there are human beings involved. But it's also important because women disproportionately uh, look after others. They're responsible for the care of um children, disabled, you know, elderly, all sorts of people. In fact, even men, you know, like if, like they support a whole lot, they support a whole um, branch of society. And so their welfare impacts others. And so, um, and, and we know that from various um, gender indicators that show that the more um, healthy, wealthy women are, equality uh, society are, the more uh, uh, wealthy and healthy society societies are. Um, and also in terms of post-disaster reconstruction policy and program, uh, it's important to take into account gender uh, sensitive approach uh, in order to decrease uh, the opportunity for, in order to increase, sorry, the opportunity for the development of resilient, sustainable community uh, in terms of reconstruction. So it's a, you know, it's a mixture of all this uh, reason that uh, makes it important to look at uh, feminist uh, response to disaster. Yeah, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and what it sounds like is it's important because, you know, if women are more vulnerable in these disasters, then it, it's important to have a response to the disasters that centers women because they're more vulnerable. So it, it does, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so if we go back to the, and you mentioned this earlier, a paper you published, um, and this was titled, Feminist Perspectives on Natural Disaster Responses, Lessons from the Canterbury Earthquakes. And this paper is available in the New Zealand Women's Law Journal for anybody who, who might want to read it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, so in this paper, you highlight research by Neumayer and Plumper, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, showing that natural disasters typically lower the life expectancy for women more than they do for men. Why is this? So... Um this is a question that is linked to statistics and i am a lawyer so my understanding of this and i was helped by tim wilson from the university of victor um, of uh, wellington in Vic uh, victoria in wellington uh, that um, helped me um, get my head around those uh, statistics so natural disaster um, contribute to lowering the life expectancy of women um, drastically more than uh, that of men uh, because they die, because they get injured, because um, in the long run they are worse off and so they're um, more likely to die earlier. So there is a there is this this that's that's the background to it. Um, but it's particularly true in countries where there is a large gender gap between uh, men and women. So um, in, in places where there is less gender equality between men and women, this um, life expectancy for women reduces drastically compared to that of men. Where there is more equality, the average uh, life expectancy um, uh, tend to reduce, like where there is, yeah, where there is more equality between the, the, the men and women, the life expectancy anyway has a tendency to reduce and um, men and women, men seems to live longer, well, 
uh, or they catch up to the life expectancy of women. Um, but um, so in other words, in uh, particularly in country where there is a large gender gap between men and women, uh, they, there, where there is a lot of inequalities, disaster reduces the life expectancy of women compared to men. And it is due to um, various factors, the size of the disaster, so the, the larger the number of people that will have died, the more likely the number of women will have died, but also it impacts the population, the long, um, the long impact of disaster, the long-term impact of disaster. Um, disaster impact women immediately, but also on the long run, you know, their access to education, their access to jobs, their access to, you know, all sorts of uh, um, access to health, uh, health and um, uh, access to reproductive service, maternal death, etc. So it's it's this sort of like um, aftermath uh, effects of the uh, of the disaster that will impact women on the long run and their life expectancy. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's never just like the immediate disaster and women unfortunately die. It has like these lasting impacts on 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 the future of women's lives as well. Exactly. So you've sh you've also shown in your research that um, greater socioeconomic equality between men and women reduces the gap in the effects of natural disasters. So it seems that equality in, in general terms has a bit of a preventive or protective effect for women. So why do you think this protective effect exists? Um, so vulnerability, so the, 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 the equality uh, issue uh, is linked to this issue of vulnerability. So vulnerability comes from, you know, various um, um, area. It could be like a, an economic uh, disparity. Uh, poor, poor people, as I say, uh, tend to live in housing that are less well-built and therefore are more, you know, like prone to collapse on them when there is an earthquake. Uh, social vulner vulnerability might mean that once you have, for example, a disaster, an earthquake, um, uh, people um, are not able to escape. Um, they're not able to uh, to uh, to escape the zone because they might not have access to transport or the money to leave, or or they might even be trapped because they're in they're caring for vulnerable uh, people like the like uh, children, and so they might not be able to mitigate the impact of the disaster, and therefore that might compound their their vulnerability. So if they if they stay there, like let's say if they stay there because they have children and then there is no access to drinkable water, you know, like um, not only themselves, but their children might end up being sick from uh, this whole thing. So there is a compa there is a like vulnerability compounds vulnerability in the um, or magnifies vulnerability in the course of disaster. So and, and of course, as I mentioned, those patterns are particularly worse for women women that are at the intersectionality of multiple vulnerabilities. So uh, um, disaster, including earthquake, disproportionality, marginalized women and women from that are already at the marge of society. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's those are some, some really good points. In today's Feminist News Roundup, government ministers in the UK have been urged to relax the laws on abortion after a woman was jailed for procuring drugs to induce abortion after the legal limit had passed. Also in today's news roundup, a Netflix show in Taiwan has sparked a hashtag MeToo movement in the country where over 90 people have spoken out against sexual violence and has seen a Polish diplomat accused of sexual assault. Finally, in India, 
Lisa charged the chief of the country's wrestling federation with sexual harassment and criminal intimidation after complaints had been made by female wrestlers. If you have any suggestions for this podcast, let us know directly via email at contact at feministlaw.org. Please also visit our website at feministlaw.org and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with our latest articles, podcasts, newsletters, and exciting news. The music for this podcast was sourced from pixabay.com. Thanks for listening.